Rusty Quill presents. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club with me, Tyler. I'm the guy that makes the West Side Fairy Tales. You already knew that or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, I, I hope you all, guys are all doing uh, great. It's been about a month since you've heard from me on the regular feed. I had intended to do some other stuff, but um, I, I'm, I'm starting to get on one of those uh, quote-unquote self-care kicks and I guess taking... No off days for three years has um, actually started to get to me a bit. <laughs> so I took like six or seven in a row and then uh, filled all of the rest of my time with other things that you guys couldn't see me doing and that just basically didn't end up on the feed. But that uh, hopefully one day you'll all get to enjoy to uh, to some degree. The um, main thing I've been working on, which some of you already know, is the book season four book. And uh, if you haven't heard about it yet, we are going to be releasing our first book. It is stories you've already heard. Don't get too excited um, unless you are excited about owning a physical part of the West Side Fairy Tales universe in which place or in which case uh, get stoked. This is something that people have been begging me for since uh, season two. And uh, at the time, just the two or three people that were begging (laughs) weren't quite enough to justify all of the additional work. And, uh, you know, I still had a normal job at the time too. But now that we, um, we've kind of established a platform and I'm, I'm getting a little bit more confident in my uh, legitimacy as a writer, I guess you would say, um, we're, gonna be, we're going to be releasing books um, sort of basically at least once a year or so indefinitely. Um, I'm a writer. Writers release books to make money and that's how we're going to do it. Everything that I write, functionally speaking, will be free or packaged some way with non-free things so that it will remain accessible to people without a lot of money. Um, Obviously, there is the main barrier of owning a physical thing. I'm always trying to keep an eye out for my my less monetarily um, availed 
fans, you know, um, it sucks out there. Life is a pain in the ass. So uh, anything that I release, even if I release non-podcast shit, there is going to be some way to get it. I'm a firm believer in in free, especially in terms of art for people, because um, I, I, I'm bigger than the capitalist outlook on life. And uh, it is, first off, not all about making money for me. It's about surviving and making art, which is my main focus. And when I was younger, um, I just I just stole shit that I couldn't afford anyway. And I know, um, you know, maybe some of you guys are of the same disposition. So I, first off, I can't judge, and I wouldn't. And I, I'm still technically that person, but on a much larger scale. Uh, but more, more importantly, I, I'm a firm believer in libraries and, and public support of the art. And even though that my shit might not end up in a library, um, and then again, it might, uh, but not you know necessarily the second it comes out. Um, I, I do want to make sure that it's always accessible in some form to people. So even if it's just, you know, hey, if you give me $5, you get access to functionally speaking everything in written form through some manner on the Patreon, that's fine. Um, and, you know, legally speaking, I guess I can't say this, but if I found out that um, people were sharing my books for free behind my back, so to say, I, I don't think I would do anything about it. I would just hope that enough people saw it and enjoyed it that they would um, eventually decide like, Hey man, I've, I finally found like 10 free dollars. Uh, thank you for that content. Like 10 years later, maybe one day I'll pay, uh, I'll pay Stephen King for all the books of his. I stole from borders. <laughs> no regrets, dude. Growing up broke is a pain in the fucking ass. All right. I'm pretty sure he's worth $450 million. He's fine. Okay. And it's not my fault that Borders went out of business. They had an entire section that was literally only self-help books, the, the For Idiots season series. You guys remember those? Before you could just Wikipedia shit and look up free articles on YouTube, you had the anything you can think of for idiots. Um, the Borders that was next to my house was literally – two two full sections of that so two full bookcases you know left to right uh hallway to hallway uh and there was the front and the back of those and then they had three more sections that were just calendars so you know it's not like you really put a bookstore out of business you put a print on paper store out of business which is isn't is functionally not the same thing to me if you're a bookstore and you get by on calendar sales you're not a fucking bookstore you're a calendar store that also has books Kroger sells books too, and they haven't gone out of business. You know, adjust your model in in a sane way. Um, and if that sounds mean, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. Capitalism is a piece of shit fucking environment. <laughs> I think all works of fiction should be free, and people should be celebrated solely on their talent. But that's not how the uh, that's not how the the system works already. So you know, um, it it is what it is. All of that aside, and my my pontificating. God, you guys haven't heard from me in a month and I come back and I'm just like socialism and theft, but not together. Capitalism is theft. Socialism is dope. Take me, take it for me, a thief. Socialism is good. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, in any case, September 17th, which is ironically enough, my birthday, it's also just happens to be like whatever, a Friday. Um, that weekend, uh, yeah, September or something. I don't know. It, it's a, it's a typical release day. My birthday is always sweeps or whatever the fuck you like. It's always like the third or second, whatever the fuck week of September. And so like routinely 
everything on earth will launch on my birthday. Kind of like how stuff launches a lot of the times on like no, like 9-11, even though it's, you know, a scary national holiday. It's because it's the beginning of the uh, beginning or end of the whatever quarter. So I digress. It, it's a thing. I'm completely out of my fucking depth here. I think it's the beginning of the last quarter because it's the ninth month. Anyway. Uh, yeah, September 17th. It's going to be available through Amazon. I don't have any major distributors. I am going to be working out something for patrons. So if you are probably a, I mean, if you're at least a $50 patron, when the book comes out and I get the copies that I want to send out to people ready, um, you can pretty much expect to get a signed copy of the book. I might be doing something similar for $20 fans. I'm not sure yet. Don't get too excited. I'm still working out the business details of that. Um, a lot of the stuff that we send out for the $20 people in that is um, really cheap to send out. Suffice to say, uh, books are fucking heavy as shit, you know. The most expensive things that we've sent out so far are for the $50 patrons, which is, you know, whatever. Like, maybe at best, like a half a pound, a half a pound or less of paper. And then for this stuff, it's, you know, the book is minimum a pound. It's huge. Uh, the books are very good looking. I designed them and laid them out myself. It features artwork from Yui and it looks amazing. Um, the cover is obviously in full color. It's matte cover, which I prefer. I don't like glossy covers. It's five by eight, five inches by eight inches. It's a trade paperback, fairly thick. I think it, uh, caps out at something like 448 pages. So there's, a, it's a nice chunky book. It'll look great on anything. And I, you know, I did, I did the whole thing to the nines and actually even the finalized quote unquote finalized cover that you can see online. We are still tweaking things ahead of the, uh, ahead of the final date. We got the proof copies in and there's some things that we don't quite like some things that we want to change, uh, mostly regarding, um, just kind of like really minuscule shit, font sizes, uh, line thickness, kerning, letting bullshit like that. Um, some spacing things, just as an aside, if there's, uh, I know there's a few um, amateur authors out there that uh, haven't tried to self-publish or, or, or really publish anything. But if you do self-publish stuff, just keep in mind, um, and this is just a note for you, um, especially if you try to do a real layout job, which I did. I, I'm, I know how to use full, I know how to use InDesign and stuff. So I did a full thing for all of the ebook and, and everything. It's fucking, it took me a long time. <laughs> I promised myself I would take a break after uh, the end of the season. And instead I spent like two 14 hour days. Actually, no, that, that was just for the print. So it was about, yeah, about a week of 14 ish hour days, just laying out the ebook and reconstructing it and refiguring it and doing the over and over and over again until it was pretty much good. And then the same thing for the print. And it was a gigantic pain in the ass. I'll, I'll talk about that stuff a little bit later because I think just as a horror and lit club uh, addendum, it'll be pretty interesting. Also, just as a, an aside, really quick before I get into that a little bit in further detail, we are talking about actual fiction stuff today. The topics are um, Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby and uh, the movie Don't Breathe 2, which I, I didn't even look up any information on and I will just be talking about Raw and probably recreating um, I, I don't, I, I think from now on, I'm going to not look up the names of people connected to projects I don't like just so that they, uh, if they ever look up my stuff, they're not like, oh, well, he spent, he spent about two hours saying how bad of a writer I am. <laughs> 
S.A. Cosby, on the other hand, is extremely good, and uh, and I loved Blacktop Wasteland. But um, as far as printing and stuff goes, uh, if you end up laying shit out in InDesign, which is this whole big thing, uh, InDesign is is one of the most complicated computer programs I've ever dealt with. It is on its surface simplistic, and then once you realize how InDesign's supposed to work, then you realize how complicated it is, and then you'll use it for five, six years in a professional context and realize you weren't even using it right the entire time, which is what happened to me. I never realized that InDesign is actually an HTML programming suite that also happens to lay out books, which is true. Um, If anybody here uses InDesign and you don't use like Jesus Christ, like the book function and stuff, you are really selling yourself short because you can do a lot of crazy, awesome stuff with that. I basically basically used it like a blunt instrument for years. And even that comes with its own difficulties, you know, trying to learn how to use paragraph styles and programming stuff. And then this time I just went through and had to relearn it completely in HTML programming context because that's what eight, that's what EPUB books are, the .epugs or the .mobis which are just modified ebooks um, as a, those are where Kindles are. It's a .mobi file, which is odd because nothing uses .mobis except for Kindle. And it is like literally the only good EPUB file. <laughs> Traditional EPUB and EPUB readers are like fucking sketchy, dude. They're not great. Um, and they like to do whatever the fuck they want to do. So if you are a, um, a small creator getting ready to put your shit on the internet, I strongly can, I would strongly consider either going, find somebody that knows how to actually do layouts and stuff and that has InDesign and uses it and literally make sure they tell you, like, if you're like, don't, don't just fucking go to one of these goddamn, these companies that are like fucking parasites and predators floating around the KDP scene are ridiculous. Uh, some of their shit is so bad. So if you don't know anything about Kindle Direct Publishing, um, you can just upload a Word doc into KDP and it will produce a quote-unquote ebook and print version of your story. And it will technically do that faster and more easier, I'm doing big, big air quotes, than if you were to just... um, lay it out in InDesign like I did. It does a lot of the quote-unquote work for you, but it's also non... It doesn't really let you change stuff, so you're going to get an extremely basic product. It's not going to look good. You won't be able to do a lot of formatting tweaks that you would do in InDesign when you export as EPUB because the EPUB file exports as an HTML. It is an HTML based file right it's written in html it's called epub because of the way that we're we're, because of the way that readers work with it but if you opened up the code of it and control clicked it and control pasted it into an html um compiler it would functionally speaking create the same ebook based on the same standards it uses p1 p2 all that sort of stuff for your headers and it's it's fucking wild, man. You've got to do all kinds of shit, and there's these plus-minus style changes up. But if you want the thing to look different and look really good, you have to use this because, and I hope they're not reading, and if they are, God bless. I haven't been able to tell you this in person yet. Somebody asked me to beta read one of their uh, Kindle books recently, and I said, fuck it, I'll do it because um, 
not because I really had time, but because I was trying to read some stuff for HLCs and in that this year. And uh, you could really tell that it was a Word doc plugged into the Kindle format or the, the, the KDP format thing. Or And if it wasn't, nobody knew what the fuck they were doing on the other side of it. it, it it's kind of hard to describe, but the readability just, just gets annihilated. If... It's really hard to describe because if you don't have any experience with this stuff, you'll never know why exactly you hate what you're looking at. You might think it's like, well, the spacing's too big and, and, and the lettering is too small. And it's like, actually, and I know this doesn't make sense to you, but the problem is, is there's too much letting in here and the spacing between the paragraphs and the size is actually correct, but this is wrong. Or there's too much of a post-paragraph indent space, or, or, or these indents are done wrong. Uh, for some reason, this was put into a, um, and this is actually the case for this book, it's clear that the reader absorbed, or the, the compiler that translated the docx file into an EPUB read the docx's margin notes, like it, not, not margin note. I don't know how to say this correctly. So in a docx, a word doc, um, you have margins, right? And that's so when it prints, it prints those margins too. And those margins are like a tangible space. They're like programmed into it as opposed to like the spaces in a PDF, right, that I'm making. Uh, or, or like when I export out of InDesign, you'll see margins on the page, but those margins are non-tangible. They're a non-printing object. They're just part of the document's actual write space. And you can functionally program in an EPUB with nothing there. It, it can have no pages, functionally speaking, because it doesn't care. It only reads what's inside that box. And then the internals of the box, the paragraph styles, are what writes the styles inside of the HTML. And there's HTML styles, and they're, they're a whole big thing. And so what it does when it compiles out of InDesign is it runs through all these things and all the numbers that I have pre-programmed into my paragraph styles. And so my paragraph styles say that there's, like, whatever. I, I think it's, it's no margin. There's no margin because I don't need margins inside a text box that is literally inside of non-printable margins. They're just, they're just on the page. It's an empty space in the PDF in the digital zone, it goes side to side, full side to side. So it allows the reader, um, the option to space as is the reader's prerogative, right? Because the reader also has non programmable or non printable space or non displayable space. So, you know, it, it says, you know, the reader knows that the sides of the screen can only be the size of X screen or that this is the, yeah, the, the EPUB reader that you would look at, it knows where the screen is just the same as the um, internet programs that you have know where the screen is and kind of pre-promote, like they, they just pre-read that this is a wrapping text, you know? So it just goes to the side of whatever box is in. It's reflowable. So if you have margins that are attached to that information, instead of reflowing to zero, it'll reflow to like an inch. So when I'm reading this person's, Kindle book, the sides of the text are crushed in an additional X amount of space because of the way that his formatting is set up. 
And the thing is, is you want to be able to put formatting like that in there. So it leaves them a lot less space. So I have something, it's a style, it's called diegetic writing. Diegetic just means like inside the story it's happening, kind of like meta, you know? So um, if you remember the story, uh, Mud of the Heart, there is a section four or five pages in that is a multiple page long handwritten letter from a character who's never really seen alive in the story to other people. And it is the uh, initiating incident that gets the guy to come to the house, but it's a letter. And so to make it look like a letter and really stand out visually and, you know, these visual cues really help people to kind of process information. It makes it go a lot smoother. And this is all, you would think that typographic design is just boring and like not that important. And then literally try to do it yourself. It's something no one will ever give you credit for it looking good unless it's another person that does typography. And then any, but anybody that comes in, it's bad. They'll be like, well, that's no, I hate this kind of like you don't understand why exactly you don't like papyrus and why other people do and use it as a design choice. Uh, and the answer uh, for why people use papyrus is because it's in, um, God damn, it's the fifth type of font or whatever the hell. It's a uh, artistic font, quote unquote. So like it doesn't fall into the the, the typical font families of serif, sans serif, slab serif, or, or, or modern. And um, because of that, and because it's also, I think it's monotypic, it, it fits, it inherently fits spaces visually, even though it is in itself visually unappealing, while also it's visually unappealing in certain ways. It's very unbalanced because of the way that the letters are shaped, but it seems balanced. It's kind of similar to something like impact. Whereas like impact is extremely blocky. If you use impact in all caps, it will always fit everywhere because it's always a perfect rectangle, flat top, all of that. But those, um, papyrus characters are kind of like, they're kind of floaty, and they live in the space, you know, so you can kind of just slap it on anything and it'll seem like it's supposed to be there, but it's also just so non-unique and it's kind of everywhere and it has a bad habit of kind of telling on itself. It, it's a very odd sort of font. I, I won't get into it anymore. There's another type of font um, called basic. I, I call it basic bitch. I can't remember what the fuck, but it's a... Uh, it's a specialty font. It's a serif, uh, uh, a conjoined serif font. So or, uh, there's an actual word for it and I'm fucking it up, but it's any uh, ligature serif. There we go. Um, by the way, a serif or, and sans serif. So if you don't know this, if you look at anything, uh, if you like Times New Roman, right, the tops and the bottoms of the letters have extra little bits of ligature hanging off of them. Those are the serifs. So, you know, the T is a T, but it's also got like the tiny little bits at the top and the bottom that create that line. Those are serifs. Serifs exist to create um, boxes as you read so that it makes it so that you read left to right very quickly. It doesn't look good, quote unquote, um, and it's not modern, although technically a lot of modern, quote unquote, literally, they're called modern typefaces are serifs. But it doesn't look modern in our sense. It doesn't look technologically advanced because uh, most of what people use for that are sans serifs, which don't have the serifs. Those are things like Helvetica, Impact, uh, Arial, Cambria, not, not Cambria, Calibri. Those are the most basic ones that you're in. Cambria is a serif font, Times New Roman. 
uh, apple type mono Corsova, whatever the fuck that it's it's on everything. But uh, yeah, companies like Apple and that they use um, extremely thin, um, extremely thinly weighted sans serifs, and and everybody kind of associates those with looking good. Um, I mean, I'm looking at my my audio recording program right now uses uh, sans serifs for for most weirdly enough for most of its text except for all of the text on the inside of the program all of my exterior text outside of my working boxes and my my main tops that is all sans serif and then everything inside is a very very similarly weighted slab serif is it am I, am I crazy no it's not it's not a slab serif it's just those eyes are throwing me off so it's also a sans serif it just has a a slightly curved descender on the end of the T that actually looked like a slab. I, I, I digress. I'm sorry. All of this stuff is extremely important. Um, because if you, if you get it right, nobody will ever notice that they're reading something. And that's the point. You know how sometimes you can look at something, and if you don't know anything about type, you'll be like, ah, my head hurts. And I don't want to look at this anymore. Like, it's painful to look at, and I'm not sure why. And like other times, you 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 uh, you don't notice at all. Most of the time, you don't notice you're reading. It's because of the difference between the types of type. Jesus, I just went on forever there. By the way, recently the change that nobody can or a lot of people can't quite put their finger on um, with Twitter is that Twitter switched to a, a pretty pretty thinly weighted. It's like sub regular. Like uh, I would say, it's a medium weighted. Um medium light, maybe, weighted uh, sans serif with a lot of letting, which is the spaces between the letters. I'm not sure why they did that. And from what I understand, uh, that sort of letting spacing makes people with dyslexia, like, it really kicks their ass if they want to try to read something. So, you know, they might have a Twitter reader on their phone that automatically um, rips and rips and changes that to a, uh, there are um, dyslexia pro-dyslexia fonts, notably one that is supposed to be good for dyslexia is the font in uh, Harry Potter, I've heard, is that some of their their um, fonts are designed. So basically, I don't know how dyslexia actually works, but I, apparently a way to work against it with at least Roman characters like we use in our language is to make sure that different parts of each letter are, are weighted considerably differently. And that helps their um, eyes and their brain tell the different characters apart so they don't swim together. I don't know if that actually works or not. Um, it, it's, it's just as likely to be pseudoscience as it isn't because I, I have no fucking clue. But I digress. I've been working on this thing a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry to take you down the rabbit hole and talk about design so much. Um, and I forgot what the fuck I was talking about with that, that other dude. Well, yeah, his, his thing wasn't particularly well laid out. And why you should... So yeah, if you want to make decisions about all that sort of stuff that I was talking about, you need to get InDesign or consider researching and paying for an actual design company to do your your programming and your layout for your ebook and your print book. Don't sign any contracts. Don't do anything with them. Don't give them a fucking penny until they like, just tell them like, hey, I want to see what one page of my shit laid out looks like. I want to see what your other people look like. And then give me pricings and stuff. Don't believe them if they say they're going to give you like any promotional shit for extra money. They never do. And if they do, it's like they'll they'll share your books release one time on their corrupt ass fucking Twitter account that has 
3 million followers that are all Pakistani fucking autobots that'll just be like, oh, very good. Nice job. Book is very pretty. New cover. <laughs> fucking fuck. Eat my shit, dude. I digress. Uh, yeah, man, the book's coming out. Check it out. It's totally worth it. I think it's going to be retailing for $19.99. So that's dope. And um, yeah, some of you guys, if you're if you're patrons, by the time it comes out, you know, stick with it. Um, if you get to the right height and we crunch the numbers and we can send one to you, you will get a signed copy of the book in the mail um, at some point. And I might not even tell you guys that they're on their way. You'll just wake up one day and you'll be like, what the fuck is this package? And then you'll have a bookmark and a sticker and a and a brand new book or 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 maybe just a brand new book or maybe all three or maybe none of that. I'm I don't know. And, and the second I figure it out, I will, I will let you all know. So, um, with that aside, let's talk about the thing that I liked before talking about the thing that I didn't like. Cause I can always talk about the thing that I didn't like a whole lot more. Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby is the first book recommended by book Twitter that I have liked in years. And I'm so happy because like, Jesus Christ. First off, I follow S.A. Cosby. I start, I follow everybody before I start reading their books these days. Because I'm not going to lie, the more irritating they are on Twitter, the less I like their shit. S.A. Cosby makes no fucking apologies for his work. He just talks about how fucking awesome he is, which I love. Um, that, that actually, that's actually kind of a bad characterization of him. He, he, everybody like, you know, whatever they get fucking bad comments and they have to answer to them, but he answers to them very well. And he's got these like eloquent, fun, punchy comebacks and they're cool. Uh, I won't name the other people, but there's a certain other author whose book I fucking hated and their responses to like haters and them talking about their work was just so I'd say self-apologetic. It's kind of hard to describe. You know when somebody's just like snapping back at someone because they hurt their feelings, but like you can hear in their snapback that they thought the other person was right and it's something that they deeply think about themselves. And honestly, it might have been good criticism and it was kind of fairly delivered. And you're like, you got real mad about iced tea right there, son. It's that kind of person, so... I've been right so far. The other person whose who's work I fucking absolutely hate and who's a douchebag on Twitter, like, goddamn. Like, uh, yeah, I, I sent a message to them and they had 2,000 followers and they didn't give me back. You know, and it's like, dude, I, I fucking talk to everybody I tweet. Did you just get like a fucking check mark and you turned off like, I'm only going to talk to famous people now because I am also a famous person. I follow 200 people and 2,000 people follow me. Shut the fuck up, you son of a bitch. I was just like, hey, man, I've been hearing about your things. You have a book I could, you want to suggest one of your books to me that I should check out? No response. And like, don't, don't fucking at me with some bullshit. Like, hey, people aren't responsible to talk back to you. Like, dude, it's a fucking professional account. Like, literally, if you can't fucking answer to shit like that, give it to your fucking agent so that your agent can be like, ba, 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 ba. He didn't even have his fucking books in his goddamn profile. Like, what the fuck? Oh, stupid dick. I digress. Um, the Blacktop Wasteland is fucking awesome. Um, it's so much fun. It starts a little... A little basic. Um, and it is... It, it, it's not like... Uh, it's not a, a, a real avant-garde book. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. It's not 
super literary. It's not uh, newly trod ground, but it's a fucking blast, man. It's an old school fucking diesel and gas action thriller. It's so much fun. If you like Vanishing Point or uh, what's that fucking... God damn it, it's one dude's name and, and the guy drives the fucking 68 Mustang for like 20 minutes of it. I can't remember, but old school driving things like that with kind of like imagine Fast and the Furious if it was not such a corny, memeable fest. If, if Fast and the Furious was actually as cool as Fast and the Furious thinks it is, and I mean like dark and gritty cool, that would be kind of this book. It follows the, uh, the the sort of hapless thieves' tale of a of a young to middle aged ish black man named Beauregard who lives or Bug, which is my dog's name. Um, he just got a little bit waken woken up. He's sleeping. He's sleeping on the fucking ground beside me. Um, Beauregard is a uh, mechanic by day and a uh, thief and car racing ne'er do well by times that aren't day or sometimes they are just occasionally. And, uh, he's one of those type of guys like I can't get out of the life, you know, like cool as shit. All right. I get it. it there's a lot of John wicky, John wick type moments and stuff. Uh, not too much gunplay, a lot of cars and the car scenes are done well. And I really like them. I've been thinking about trying to hunt down S.A. Cosby and see if I can ask him for an interview. Cause I want to talk to him about the book. Cause I loved it so much. Um, I don't think he's too famous for me, hopefully. I mean, no no authors really are. They all have free time. There's no, there's no such thing as an author with too much time without enough time for an interview except for, like, fucking Stephen King. And I don't know what the fuck people interview him about anymore. And I'm just like, hey, Steve. Uh, yeah. Do you remember writing It? Uh, yeah, it made me millions of dollars, and they've made multiple movies about it. It scared me when I was a kid. Are you afraid of clowns? I can be afraid of almost anything if people give me a pat on the back and say say that they like that about me. <laughs> every every fucking interview I've ever seen of Stephen King has been dog shit. <laughs> you know, you know the one good interview I've ever seen with Stephen King was barely even an interview, and it was in the Dave Chappelle show. And it's him and it's the Ask a Black guy with Paul Mooney. And they find Stephen King of all people, and they're like, and he's like, uh, well, I was wondering, um, would a black person prefer a, a white Undertaker or a black Undertaker, or or were they not mind? <laughs> Steve, you've got ten seconds. Come up with the weirdest question that you can ask. Well, uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> First off, I think I, I think a lot of. Uh, Black families throughout America have black undertakers like traditionally in their family because, you know, of of the racism when the white undertakers wouldn't take black corpses and do them up. Uh, Where the fuck? I I think I learned that in Six Feet Under, uh, if you guys remember that. Um, Yeah, uh, undertaking was very racially segregated for, for long after a lot of other things started to like chill out about it. It's just weird, weird thing. I just remembered, but, uh, Paul Mooney is the fucking shit. Uh, Stephen King. That's a creepy fucking question. You know, you know what really scary? How about how, you, want, you want to hear something that's really scary? A black man with a library card. How about that? Fucking Stephen King. Fucking creepy. <laughs> Paul Mooney's the fucking shit. Um, 
Am I saying the right name? I'm such a fucking idiot. If I, I I'm gonna shoot myself in the foot. Yes. Okay. It's Paul Mooney. Dude, sometimes I get fucking names confused, and I'll be I'll say them for an hour, and and it's just wrong the whole time. I called Stephen King John King to Sam's face for like a half hour long conversation one time, and she's like, "Who the fuck are you talking about? Who is John King?" I was like, "The famous horror author." And she goes, "Stephen King." I'm like, my brain was like, "No, no, no, don't listen to this bitch. It's fucking John King, John King," and I'm like, "Look." I know you're right because you're my editor, but my brain, it swears to fucking Christ on a cracker that I am correct about this. Oh, brain damage isn't cool, kids. Don't get hit in the head too hard. You'll get a bunch of scar tube, scar tissue built up, and then every once in a while, your brain will be like, nah, we're not doing that. Fuck it. But uh, <laughs> back to the story. Uh, Beauregard, Beauregard is, is a cool guy, man. He's, he's very, he's very chill, um, kind of works day to day, but he's got some problems going on. He does street races and he's, uh, extremely prone to violence, um, more so than every other character in it. You do not, he does not suffer fools and he does not like, wait a second to think things over. Maybe, maybe a second, a half a second, but he just beats ass this whole fucking book and every time you're like yes i don't give a shit yes there's like a lot of uh <laughs> i i forgive it because okay so this is this whole thing is set in the like outside of like the hampton roads area of virginia where i actually lived for about a year it was me and sam's first year together a lot of this takes place in like newport news and uh in places surrounding i lived in newport news right off of I-64. And I can tell that this book is supposed to be set in like 2018 because they're talking about the I-64 construction past Bush Gardens being finished on the interstate. And I was like, fuck no. <laughs> it really slaps when you're reading a book and a character gets to a part of an, a highway that you've been on. He goes, oh, fuck, did they finally widen this to six lanes? And you're like, fuck, did they finally widen that to six lanes? God damn it. <laughs> It's real shit, dude. It's real shit. I swear to God. But um, yeah, Beauregard, Beauregard, fucking max motherfuckers. I, I didn't know. I did not know what was I was going to get into. Um, S.A. Cosby, like, I don't blame him for his uh, for the marketing that surrounds his book. But like just all book marketing this day, these days can just be fucking ignored. It's all garbage. I got recommended his stuff through like horror Twitter, like horror lit Twitter, who were like, it's one of the scariest books I've ever read. And like, first off, it's not a horror book at all. Like <laughs> no one on earth, especially the fucking author would ever say that this was a horror book. It's bizarre that I saw it presented like that. And people are like, it's just, you know, a good, good creep fest, real scary. And I'm like, did somebody just hit the Stephen King book blur button on accident. Wow. It's real creepy. Creepiest thing I've ever read. Stephen King will just shit out a compliment for anybody. And they are always the same thing. Terrifying. I couldn't sleep after I read it. And it's like, who I would love. I, I would unironically love a Stephen King blurb on my book. I almost just put one on there just to see if anybody would notice, you know, like did, did Stephen King actually read this? And like, even he wouldn't know. 
There's no way. That motherfucker has a blurb on the fucking cover of every book that I've seen come out in the last 20 years. There's no way he's reading them all. And there's no way, like, half of them are, like, trash, dude. Like, I... Wow, this Nick Cutter book, a mile a minute, wonderful white writer, very scary. And then you read like, what the fuck are you reading? You're Stephen King, you know that, right? Have you read your own shit? It fucking slaps. I know you fucked up a little bit here in the 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 your fucking twilight years and people don't edit your shit anymore, but bro, I know you know what fucking good reading is. Come on, man, what the fuck? What the fuck? Man, support small authors, I guess. I don't know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, and, and there was also some like, uh, where they were trying to play off. Like the, it was this like extremely poignant buildings Ramon of this young man coming to terms with his, his violent past as he grew up kind of blah, blah, blah. So I was going into it thinking like, they're going to be like, I don't know, like one of Stephen King's kind of like less supernatural, more gangstery type, deals like just that you guys kind of understand where my mind my thought process was and like is it going to be like a real like a family thing and then i read it i'm like no this is just fucking good ass crime fiction just fucking dope man crime action thriller so much fucking fun multiple heists multiple like mini heists setups you're like oh what's he gonna do next and there actually was a point where like there was like a suspenseful twist and I fucking went, oh no. And I was, I got fucking stoked. I cannot not recommend this enough. It is so fucking good. It's a blast. Um, it reads easy. His prose is pretty good. Um, start to finish. There's not like, it, 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 it's not magical. There's not like a lot of really good lines you know that are gonna like stand the test of time but there's a lot of good little fucking whips left and right you know stuff you'd expect from a really well-written western or or crime novel like a lot of elmore leonard type lines that are like they're real fucking smooth and they're real good they're just kind of non-contextually they're not like you know no one's gonna pull that out and get it like tattooed also they're because they're so good in context uh you'd look they the basic bitches won't be able to pull them out and like put them on their leg kind of deal. That's not to say Cosby's not a good writer. He's very good. Uh, very excellent pacing. His style is sparse, which really, really speaks to the content of the story. He doesn't let um, frothy descriptions or, you know, any excessive word play get in the way of shit. It's like, he went here, he did this, he went here, he did this. It's real fucking Spartan like that, which just, it suits it. It's perfect, right? And I loved it. Um, there are no real unresolved plot points. Everything flows. Everything's kind of introduced. It's addressed. Set up, punchline, bam. Set up, punchline, bam. Not a whole lot of overly predictable Um I think I got, I think I got led astray a few times. I actually got like, I was like, oh no, really? Really? Uh, on, on a couple occasions, which I really appreciate considering the story is not formulaic, but it's based on a pretty simple, pretty, pretty straightforward formula that you've, you've seen 
uh, a million times before, but done in in Cosby's own style, which makes it amazing. That's not a knock, and that is not something that you should ever judge badly about somebody. A heist movie is a fucking heist movie, right? And then you do it in your own way. A song is a song. You know, every country song has three three or four chords, but you can put them in any fucking direction you want, and then it's your story to tell over it. It uh, it, it basically goes, you know, set up, establish the badass characteristics of the main character. Introduce the first crew, first heist. Heist goes however it goes, which sets up the second and main overarching plot, which necessitates the second heist. And uh, the blowback and aftermath of that. Final showdowns happen. Car chases, brushes with the law. And the, uh, the, the fucking coming-of-age narrative for a, for a generation, which does not fucking exist. Although, he does handle the family aspect of Beauregard's life extremely well. There is not like, uh, there's no oh-shucks attitude for this dude who's probably in his mid-30s, I think. I can't remember if they say how old he is. But I would have to say, I'd have to say mid to late 30s, maybe early 40s, just considering how fat of a fucking record he has and how old his kids are. Um, no, wait, they actually say how old his daughter is. She's 17 and he had her when he was 17, I think. So yeah, he's 34 ish, uh, right around there. So yeah, mid thirties, which makes sense. Giving the, 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 the sort of rap sheet that he's got, he's a well-respected in criminal circles and in legit circles, which takes a long time to build up, which I'm also appreciative of. I, I, I like having a fucking, reasonably aged protagonist for stuff <laughs> too many too many things i've read recently i guess maybe i've been reading too much manga but like it's dude fucking the world does not revolve around 17 year olds they're not that interesting i myself was a 17 year old and uh i i soon became a 20 year old and had nothing but poor thoughts about my 17 year old self. And so it continues, but I guess, you know, some people peak in high school. And so they just want to remember what it was like to be 16 because uh, 42 and boring sucks. That aside, um, his, his family stuff is really well done. I like his wife as a character, even though she doesn't get a lot of screen time. She has her own motivations. She has reactions to his, shenanigans that are wholly her own and do not merely serve to um, explicate or, 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 or create new problems for him. You know, a lot of times, especially in shows like this, there there's, if I had the only knock, I guess I could put against this is that it has a lot of dude energy, um, especially for something modern, uh, which, you know, Hey, it's the story is the story, but it is pretty dude really dude heavy. I would have, I would have done for, um, at least one or two female characters relative to the main plot. All the chicks that are in it do get killed off shortly after they're introduced. If they are not directly related to Beauregard, either through blood or marriage, (laughs) every every chick dies every yeah uh well yeah he does have that is a pretty bad every every chick is either a prostitute murdered or um a direct you know romantic or 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 blood interest to him it's his daughter his mother his wife 
his ex-wife, who was a junkie, <laughs> junkie fucking whore, was his ex-girlfriend. Um, we have uh, one chick from the heist dead literally right after she's introduced. The other chick dies off screen. Yeah, it's a wow. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe next time, Cosby, get that, get a few more chicks in there. I, I, w- I would really appreciate it. I, I like female characters. Um, he didn't do the ones that are in there dirty, and I can say that kind of with the westerny, gothic crime feel, it kind of still works. But yeah, it definitely is something that I noticed. And then looking back into it a lot more right here, just sitting down talking to you guys. I can say that it is, it's a full knock. It's definitely one of those things that will keep me from giving it a full five stars, but I am looking forward to the next book that he writes um, or that he has written. It's called Razorblade Tears, which I will be checking out shortly. And I won't get um, any more into Blacktop Wasteland other than to say I, I loved it and you should absolutely check it out. It's available on Amazon. I downloaded it on Kindle. I think it was like 12 bucks or whatever. Check it out, check it out, check it out. The next thing I want to talk about is unfortunately something that uh, I cannot give a particularly good grade to. That is the movie Don't Breathe 2 from some fucking, I don't know, I don't know. Let's see, I'll I'll look it up, I'll look it up. Don't Breathe 2. Well, I guess I should look at the cast, so... Don't Breathe 2 from Screen Gems, Stage 6 Films, Ghost House Pictures, and Bad Ombre. Oh, that's not good. I didn't I didn't realize that. It's directed by Rodo Sayagues. Sayagues. Rodo Sayagues. Sayagues. Man, that's a hard one. S-A-S-A-Y-A-G-U-E-S. How do you say that? Rodo Sayagues. Produced by Fede Alvarez, Sam Raimi, and Rob Tappert. And man, fucking four production companies, it's never a good sign. Uh, that usually means that there's rewrites, which actually would kind of explain a lot of what's going on in this. Um, Don't Breathe 2 is the sequel to uh, one of my favorite haunted house movies. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Would you call it that? I don't know. It, it's definitely, uh, it's a sequel to one of my favorite, uh, my favorite movies, Don't Breathe 1, which uh, came out back in, Lord, when the fuck even? Did, everybody is just making life hard for me and I can't just, no, no one will just let you fucking click on anything on Google anymore because people pay to have their shit jammed all the way up to the top. So I've got to just like independently search for Don't Breathe 1 instead of them just giving it to me. Like, just let me see. Don't breathe. 2016. It's the 2016 film. 
Don't Breathe, rated R, which was pretty fucking amazing. If you've never seen the original film, it stars the guy from uh, Stephen Lang, who's in a million things. I recently recognized him from when the first time I watched this, he was in uh, Avatar. But then he's been in a million other things, too. He's, he's in all sorts of shit. He's in Manhunter, Tombstone, fucking Mortal Engines. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Mortal Engines. But, you know, a million different things. And he's just one of those that guy type deals. He's an older dude. He's blind. And uh, he's got a really dark secret. The original movie is great. It's got a very, very small cast and extraordinarily small by, by, by setup. Um, help me out here. Set <laughs> and uh, and in in a, a tight, concise, and really, really approachable plot, you can get into it immediately. the The movie premise is that some kids, middle aged, young, 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 young people, twenty somethings, I guess you would say, break into a house to steal a bunch of money that this uh, blind veteran was given as a settlement to a, as part of a massive settlement for a car crash. When he was younger, his wife and his daughter, I believe both died in the car crash, leaving him a uh, lonely old man living completely on his own um, in the, in the wilds of suburban Detroit's uh, decaying outer loops he is um, the most hardcore human being ever to live. His house is completely dark because he is a blind person and he has exceptional hearing and touch, right? Because your senses go and you get better, which makes him one of the most interesting. And I really do feel like it's a haunted house movie. He's one of the most interesting ghosts in a haunted house film I've ever seen. And uh, stay with me. This is my my thing is that he is the ghost in his house. Um, he has unfinished business. He is basically a curse. He only activates, so to say, when people enter his domicile to fucking disturb his shit in search of a treasure. And um, he has his own dark secrets in the basement, right? That's like every fucking haunted house movie. He's the ghost in the haunted house. I, I stand by that. Um... The people break in shortly after the break-in goes completely wrong. A guy points a gun at Stephen Lang's character's head. The guy snatches the gun away from him, blows his fucking brains out, and then every, he knows other people are in there, and he starts looking for them. And fucking shooting blindly around, they realize that he's actually a mad good fucking shot. A guy tries to escape, and then basically, yeah, everybody's trying to escape the haunted house, which is much easier to get into than it is to get out of. As they, just, as they descend into the haunted house, they find his rape cave in the basement where he has a young woman tied up in this gigantic pillow fort of nightmares. And uh, she's mm, pretty pregnant with his new child. You find out that she is the daughter, I think, of the guy or even she was directly responsible for the uh, death, the drunk driving death of his uh, family. So he wants a daughter, and so instead of just taking the money, uh, he kidnaps the woman, impregnates her from his gigantic uh, hair-filled coffee can full of semen, um, and eventually accidentally kills her, and then gets ready to impregnate the other girl that broke in. Thankfully, it doesn't happen. 
And in one of the most iconic scenes in film history, she jams a literal turkey baster full of semen, his own semen, down his throat and uh, expunges it into him. And he pukes semen. And uh, that is actually nodded back to in Don't Breathe 2, in which he has a very squeaky voice the entire time because severe damage was done to his vocal cords with a turkey baster full of cum. Oh my God, it's amazing. The first, the first fucking, that first movie was, every second was dope. I do not know what the fuck they were thinking for Don't Breathe 2. My wife enjoyed it for the most part. I think she would give it, I think she actually said she would give it a four out of 10. And I was like, I give it a one, maybe a two. The problems with Don't Breathe 2 are that it is fucking dull. It's dull and it's badly paced. And now seeing that there's four production companies attached to it, I think that there were extensive rewrites jammed into it and recuts because there is some jarring differentiality between certain scenes. The major plot difference is that for some reason in this, um, he's the good guy. (sighs) Okay. And he has adopted a girl he just found laying in the street eight years ago. I don't know why eight years ago is important. I don't know how he has had this girl out alone on her own for eight years. He teaches her survival things like how to run around and uh, shoot guns. And he sneaks around after her in the woods, which is like cute because he's supposed to be super sense. He's supposed to be like Zatoichi, the blind swordman in this basically which is kind of doesn't make a hundred percent sense because he's like chasing her in the daytime when she should be able to easily see him. She goes over like fences and stuff. I don't know the, the, in the original, it was pretty evident that he was way too strong to beat in a fist fight. And also it was too dark in the house to really use your eyes to your advantage. And if you weren't used to using your ears as he was, that's what gave him the advantage. That was why he was a particularly dangerous monster. And also something that you could use against him. If you made a bunch of, noise to cover up where you were going or just distracted sounds like he would have to pay attention to those and try to figure it out stuff. So that was like the kind of, that was why every moment was so good is because the characters in that original movie were always making tactical choices. And a lot of the deaths result were the results of of bad tactical choices, you know, like, Hey man, I think I'm going to throw this thing over this way but he hears it like bounce twice in a direction. So he knows it comes from the other direction because he knows it's because he knows his house inside and out. He walks through it, which is something that people never, some people don't quite pick up. I think on the first one, blind people uh, can't see generally um, solid shapes. Uh, I don't know how to describe this, but there's different types of blindness. His is mechanical in nature, I think it makes him almost completely blind. His eyes were damaged in the car crash. But there's other sorts of congenital blindness that affect people in different ways. Some people um, can still see actually almost everything that you can, but just with the fuzziness turned all the way up, like beyond what glasses can fix. The refractions in their in their, their cornea are completely screwed. With some people, there's... Um, basically broken signaling between the nerves in the back of their skull or the the nerves in their eyes and and, in the nervous pathways inside their skull. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you can become 
blind in general, um, blind people do have to feel their environment to some degree because, you know, unless they've learned certain types of like whatever that echolocation shit that some of them can do, um, anything that they don't know where it is already will be in their way. But their houses are usually really set up so that they can kind of just get around place to place and just they always know where their stuff is. So, you know, the, the things will be labeled, things will be placed very approximately and stuff. And him, even though his house is like, seems kind of chaotic and a little broken down, he always walks around perfectly place to place. And he seems almost robotic, which really adds to the uh, kind of intensity of the scenes. And he knows where stuff is. And so they're kind of ducking around him and shit. But he he hears something, ba- I think this isn't the thing. He hears something bounce and goes, kink, kink, kink. So he knows he triangulates the sound. One, two, three. So those things came from here. He's here. And so he knows something went in that direction. And so that could only have flown through the shelves from that direction. And so it would have to have come from like probably right about there. And he goes, pop, pop, pop. And he hits the guy, you know, with one of the shots, which is fucking dope. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I'm blind, but motherfucker, I can still do like internal geometry, which is fucking amazing. In the new show, they don't really do that. It kind of has the same problem that Aliens 3 has uh, to talk about other sort of haunted house movies. Um, The original Aliens, the alien was very, it had rules. And the rules were pretty easy for them to figure out. And once they figured it out, they could follow those rules. And that's how they would avoid the alien until they discovered that one of their rules was a mistake or... um, there was an addendum to the rules in certain certain situations, which is very similar to this guy. It goes in the vents. The alien is always probably somewhere in the vents. The alien can always, almost always show up on the motion detector. The alien really fucking hates fire. The alien really likes eating your brains, right? You know, all, all this sort of stuff. And so, like, once you kind of figure those things out and you figure out its hunting path and what it wants you can sort of use those things to either avoid it or even potentially destroy it. In the case of the old man, you know, he's blind, but he knows his way around the house real well. So if you avoid this and that, but you do this and that, and then, you know, like, okay, just simply being in an area and being quiet, it's not going to work anymore. He's got a fucking dog. And, you know, like I, I, obviously I can't just beat this guy's ass because he can see. So all sorts of stuff that doesn't really exist in don't breathe too. And Don't Breathe 2, this little girl is introduced as a plot element. Um, and then the entirety of the rest of the plot is like more forced than po- like laughing at a politician's joke. I don't even know. More forced than the joke I just tried to make. It is uh, a consistent um, slathering of what the fuck are you talking about plot points? The original plot point is very good, and I liked it, and then it it fell apart. It was that, hey, everybody, there is Detroit's a nightmare right now, um, which I really wish I could have learned more about because the uh, extra nightmare version of Detroit that is just like street upon street of like abandoned houses and like roving gangs of people is amazing. I like that, and I know that's kind of like Detroit now. Haha, everybody, joke, 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 but I mean like a real uh, RoboCop level of Detroit would be a fun background for this because it would also justify these kind of quirky characters that would be coming up against um, the blind man. So um, the the original plot point is like a little subtle thing, you know, whatever in the news. Uh, 
Dr. Braun Starling. <laughs> Dr. Braun Starling remains on the loose. The notorious transplant surgeon, or notorious disgraced plant transplant surgeon is being associated with roving gangs of organ harvesting criminals. Police advise that if you see him, do not approach and attempt to call them, you know, ex- interact with him with caution, blah, 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 blah. All that stuff. And like, okay, cool. So whatever goes on, we know we can, we've established that there is a gang. There's multiple people that are very dangerous. They're extremely unscrupulous and, and they're cutting fucking organs out of people. How fucking dope is that? And you could have done anything with that. And it's like, oh God, I'm so fucking frustrated because it started off so strong. With just that introduction, I love, I, my brain started running. I was like, oh my God, what if you know, he gets rounded up with this group of people and he's this monster. Maybe he was even like getting ready to abduct another lady to try to put a fucking baby in her or something. And that's what he was, that's what he was thinking. And then he's going to get trapped in this like subterranean, you know, subterranean super prison type thing where they're holding all these people before they harvest their organs. And it's really, really dark down there and, and blah, blah, blah. And that's how he gets out and he's hunting these people. That would have been fucking great, dude. That's, that's basically like Alien 2, you know what I'm saying? Like it, the alien but versus competent people and then maybe we get to be on the alien side. That's all right, all right, I get you. Only one, old man, old man 2. Instead, what we get is like this mix of like the movie Hannah, but Hannah's not cool. Hannah's an irritating and uh, she's not a very good actress. Sorry, kid. Uh, irritating like little 13 some odd year old girl with this white streak in her hair, which uh, worst plot point in the fucking, in the, the entire fucking movie is coming up relative to that. And, and he lives with her in the woods sort of, but in like a mansion that they found in the woods. I mean, replete with, a greenhouse. I think it's got like four floors. It's got a full basement with a fucking escape passage in it and like four floors up, up, to, up until like a really like a creepy attic full of, full of shit from either him or, or somebody else. They have a friend who is this female war veteran who does the hardcore war veteran chick shit, but she gets fucking murked literally in the third scene she's in, maybe the fourth she, scene she's in and literally puts up almost no fight which sucks because they, they basic action movie shit. That's when you establish how dangerous the bad guys are is you have somebody job against them, you know, basic stuff like this lady's like, you know, I'm hardcore lady veteran, whatever. But then she just gets the shit smoked out of her. And they're, you're like, well, did they just kind of just murder a lady? <laughs> This is an established thing. It was really hardcore vets, even though they said like, yeah, man, we were all in Iraq, bro. We were in Iraq. I like that. Uh, I like that. I, it finally happened. What all my friends said would happen is that we would all turn, we would all be in our thirties and forties and we would become the new uh, Vietnam, unstable Vietnam veterans and everything. And it, it's true. The Afghanistan vets, I'm sorry, guys, you're never going to get any love. No one cares about Afghanistan, which is really it just hurt to say that because uh, I wasn't thinking about what happened last week, but I mean, it's not untrue, but nobody gives a fuck about Afghanistan vets for whatever reason. I think it's just because Iraq is like nice and short and Afghanistan has like four syllables. 
So, you know, it's like Vietnam is two. So Iraq and, you know, the, the Hollywood writers aren't extremely intelligent fish. They, 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 they have their tricks. And if, if they don't stick to them, you're, you're really going to lose them. So, you know, just two syllables, two syllables for whatever war the guy was in. Uh, yeah. So we were in the other, we were in the other dirty war. So, you know, it, it, if you say somebody was in Iraq, like we may have committed a war crime. I just want one guy to be a bad guy who was in Iraq. who's actually like kind of a badass and a degenerate. And they're like, what did you do? And he's like, I was a, I was a water tech. <laughs> that's even better. Cause it's like, how the fuck, what, how fucked up are you that you were committing crimes as a, a fucking water tech? <laughs> I would go out at night and I would take the children from their beds, string them up amongst the lights. What, why, why were you doing that? How far did you have to walk? 15 miles. We were in a base in the desert, but every night the children called to me. Like, holy shit. This dude's not even fucking up in the heat of warfare. He's just like legitimately a serial killer that we gave fucking let use of the water. Why did you get a dishonorable discharge? I literally poisoned 50,000 people. They all died. Okay, he's a genocidist. This is awesome. Oh, I want something like that. Instead, we get these fucking dorks and they corner the little girl in the, uh, they corner this little girl in a fucking toilet because she sneaks out because she like wants to be, I want to be a normal girl, dad. Let me go to school. I want to go to school. And then she like goes and like for some reason just hangs out like alone next to this playground full of these like foster kids that live in a group home. And it's the nicest group home you've ever seen in like super dystopian Detroit. They're all happy and they're clean and shit. Like <laughs> y'all might want to go check out an actual group home. Uh, in Detroit real quick before you put a bunch of like happy-go-lucky Stephen Kid tier. Hey guys, you want to go on an adventure, see a dead body? <laughs> Group home kids are hard as fucking nails. <laughs> she goes up to them by the end. You know, spoiler, spoilers through this whole thing. I don't get this movie's fucking so stupid. She goes up to them at the end and she's like, Hey, do you guys think I could do you guys have room for one more? And, like, the, the little uh, girl who's, like, the leader of their crew's like, yeah, we do. And I just feel like in real life that girl, little girl, I'm like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> what street are you from? Who are you? <laughs> Not every person that's in a group home is, like, super hardcore. But America just really mistreats its fucking, its, its kids, especially, like, the orphaned children of poor people. America couldn't give a fuck about you. Like... And so they just get raised in these, like, really, really unscrupulous. They're basically prisons for children. And, you know, it's not like that everywhere, but it's like that in a lot of places. And especially in, in places where, like, a lot of the uh, social security and social safety net stuff has, has really fallen apart, like Detroit. I just don't... <laughs> I don't see it. I don't know why she wanted to go to a group home too. Like, bitch, you have survival skills. You can do anything. Why not just go like try to meet like a rich family? Like you're a, a fucking little orphan Annie ass red hair girl with a big white, big white stripe in her hair. Oh God, I got to get to that part next. Anyway, so she's out here talking to these fucking idiots at the school or not even talking to them. She's imagining that she's going to go up and play with them. Like, hey guys, you want to see something cool? And then she puts like a fucking bird scooter up against the or wheel up against this fucking carousel and turns it on and they're all like yeah we're playing <laughs> and then it, it ends <laughs> actually if i it, it was really close in the way it shot to like the scene from terminator 2 where sarah connors gets fucking annihilated by the atom bomb which 
by the way, to this day, is the scariest scene in any movie for me as a kid. It's the one thing that actually, like, I saw it and didn't just, like, imagine it after people told me about it. That scared me to death for years. Um, I digress. The, uh, the thing ends, and she goes and takes a piss and goes to, like, this super creepy bathroom. And uh, when she's coming out of it, this guy is, like, blocking up. And he's like, hey, gorgeous. And the dude just has, like, extreme pedophile energy, like, very strong and then he like touch she she threatens him with her dog and he's like oh word and then he touches her hair on the way out and it's super creepy and there is no way on earth that any of the plot plot revelations about him uh after that were in the script before that moment because fuck you nobody planned out this entire script i'm just gonna go ahead and and, and get right to it this guy is this bitch's father the reveal this dude who's like hey gorgeous and he's got her trapped in a bathroom he's he you later find out that he's her dad because he takes off his skull cap that he's wearing and he's got a big white splotch in his hair and he's like did you know i'm your real dad and and (laughs) i mean it plays out it plays out just like fucking star wars (laughs) you can't that's impossible the blind man said he's died in a meth fire <laughs> or some sort of accident. No, the blind guy said he was her dad and her mom died in a fire, but there is no way. First off, why didn't you just tell her when she was there? There is no reason for you to not try to reclaim your kid that you have been quote unquote looking for. This is another revelation. We obviously, if it's not, it should be obvious, but the way this stupid plot works, this guy is working with or maybe leading or working for or working astride of, no one really knows, the um, body part procurement brigade that's that's uh, this doctor has been associated with. So, you know, obviously you're like, okay, this guy's clearly going to try to steal some organs from this uh, healthy young girl. That would That just makes sense. Going to get some shit which is never not true, by the way. But we find out for fucking reasons that he's her dad and he has the same stupid white stripe in her hair. First, unbelievably huge plot hole. Unbelievably huge. Why would you not just tell her right then? Why not? First off, you're trying actively going to try to abduct her, right? And you're going to follow her for hours at a time. She's with this woman There's no reason for you not to just bring this up to the kid. Hey, uh, you know, you have that strike. And you can even make it into an equally creepy scene. Like, you can just be like, hey, get that white stripe in your hair. And he pulls it up, you know. I have one just like that. And she's like, okay, I don't know what that means because I haven't taken genetics classes. And then also just like for the record... I'm not going to say there's not a genetic abnormality that is passed down generation to generation that causes specifically a white spot is specifically in that part of your hair. I guess it could be a birthmark could do that and then cause like a melanin discoloration inside your hair, you know, but they don't have birthmarks there. I know that because the dude's hair is thinning. You can see right down to his scalp. Uh, (laughs) So it's fucking stupid. Um, the, the reveal is fucking idiotic and it doesn't come until the end of part, 
one act one of the thing which is really long and very badly paced and so obviously you're like all right this guy and his crew of fucking dickheads is gonna go to this house and they're gonna get fucking just beat on by the blind man and then they are gonna get away with the kid and the blind man's gonna have to go find them and get the kid back and that happens the blind man hunting parts are not as good as I wanted them to be. There's not a lot of good gore. There's not a lot of good action parts. The cat and mouse is fucking not there. It really isn't. Um, and I, I, it's kind of hard to describe why, but it's just really pacing. You know, we should have moments. The, the individual characters that are a part of Skullcap, I'm just going to call them Skullcap, they're a part of Skullcap's retinue are, you know, they're this motley crew of characters. There's these two brothers, one of which has uh, functionally no lines and is kind of a dick, but he's a little pain resistant. It's like this, the only thing that's really notable about him. And he dies without really having any good character moments, even though he's a dude's brother. Um, the brother is the technically what I would say the most dangerous one. He's kind of like the dragon, the like right hand man of the main bad guy. He's got a hammer. He has an iconic weapon. He has the hammer. He's the one that does the death blow on the lady. He's set up to be like really sneaky, but then he never really gets to do sneaky shit at all. Um, his brother gets killed. The scene that people talk about that I've seen anybody be like, wow, that was amazing. Is the old guy puts super glue on the, on the, the younger of the two, the younger brother's face and clogs up his shit. And the guy stabs him in the fucking cheek first off that's not how you do it if somebody has uh any sort of mouth covering you you just always do a crike you know right because um you don't know what's in their mouth which i feel like i shouldn't have to say i guess they wanted to they really wanted to do a um they wanted to, he so he the older brother finds the guy suffocating to death on the ground which is stupid because first off, super glue doesn't dry that fucking fast, you know? Also, why doesn't the old man have any on his hands? Did he use a rag? Then the rag should be, like, attached to it, which would have been even better if he's, like, this gross rag and he's just, like, ripping it off. Oh, God, that would have been so... Let me hear... Let me fix your fucking movie, all right? Because you don't answer the question of how he applied super fast drying super glue to this dude's mouth and nose evenly, which is a smear job. You're not going to just jam it up each one of his nostrils. You're fighting a guy, so obviously you have to hit him in the face like it's a fucking old-school chloroform rag, right? So maybe you squirt it on your little rag, and you show him making sure it's like you're just folding it, folding it, and folding it so it's extra thick so it won't get on his skin, and then get the big smear up. And then he smears it to him, but then the rag's like stuck to the guy's face, okay? Then the guy's like literally like, Aah! and he fucking ripping part of his skin off like that'd be fucking dope you know what i mean and so yeah okay so i'll just tell you how it actually happens right <sighs> got some stuff down there so what actually happens is like the guy stabs him in the cheek which i will reiterate you don't do because your cheek material is first off um very spongy and flexile so you're it will try to close on its own just like if you've ever stabbed yourself in the hand right? Or your arm. Um, that's very springy. That's where your, your, your skin is, uh, constrictive there and it will try to close over the wound or, or it won't like let a wound open real big by design. Um, as opposed to the skin on your neck, 
which is very, very thin, and it does not have a, like, a huge fat layer and no muscles. Your cheek is literally almost all muscle and gristle and shit. So if you stab somebody through the cheek, you know, you're going to damage their cheek muscles. Their, the pain is going to make them go, and then they might accidentally close up this hole, and the hole has to be X big so that you can fucking breathe through it, you know? At least the size of your nostrils. Like minimally, literally, the hole you have to make is minimally the size of one nostril. Otherwise, they're going to aspirate and die anyway. Duh. Like, that's why when you crike somebody, a cricheotomy or a tracheotomy, either one of the two, it's just different parts of the throat, you jam a pen in there, the hard back of a pen, so that, or the hard shaft of a pen with the hole, so that it clears the wound channel forward and back and provides a large one nostril width um, hole for for the air to gain passage through. Otherwise, you're um, you're 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 not going to do anything. So if he's got this fucking tiny hole, it's just going to close in his cheek, you know. And then he's he's fucked anyway. But he stabs a hole in this guy's cheek with a fucking screwdriver. I, how does nobody have a fucking knife on them? We're a bunch of cool. Every fucking edgy marine ever or soldier, whatever it doesn't matter, they always carry fucking knives on them. They always have knives on them. Every fucking guy I was in the military with that still just talks excessively about how they were in the military always has fucking knives on them. Always, 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 always. They bring them to church. You know what I'm saying? And these guys are going to go fucking rob a house and they're like organ harvesters. Why? would they not have a fucking knife on them? But I digress. Or they, like if they're going to be army people, like have fucking like first aid kits and shit. They, they, they're supposedly, uh, you know, ex-military, but they act like one of those multiracial gangs from like old school 90s action movies. Like they literally look like they were like the refuse, like the leftover gang from the RoboCop 4 that never got made. <laughs> Down to the way they dress and look. But I digress. Um, after after he, he fucking performs this dumbass fucking microsurgery on the guy, the brother gathers himself together enough, which is first off stupid, because if he has enough energy to be clawing at his face, then he has enough energy to, like, look around the guy. And so he just, the other brother, the one that the shit on his mouth, shatters some glass thing. I think it's a jar. And then uses a shard of glass and a fuck. he's in a fucking tool shed. I really can't express that enough. He's in a place that will have sharps in it, sharp things, but he goes, he just breaks a bottle or something and fucking uses a shard of curved broken glass to uh, cut his lips apart at the seam where that shit is, which, okay, fine. How about this instead? Uh, And then it works and he's just like that for another uh, five or six minutes and then he gets beaten to death with a shovel. End of game. <sighs> I digress. My version of it would be with the rag, right? Gets the gets gets hit in the face with the rag. He can't talk. <laughs> He's fucking dying, right? And his brother's like, <sighs> and you know they're they're close and they're doing freaking out. Maybe make them dress a little bit better so that they look more like brothers because you can't really tell. They they should have. The costumery in this is not very good. All the bad guys wear the same sort of like uh, 
I don't know. Just fucking street fighter shit. It's all black clothes, you know? And it's 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 not particularly interesting to look at. They they like I said, they all look like bad third tier villains from Robocop. But not like with like there's no there's nothing iconic about him, except for the one brother has like really long whitish hair, which is great. His brother other his quote unquote brother has like blonde hair, that's cr- like close cropped. It would be better if they both had like the same sort of long hair, and one of them had it in like a ponytail. And the other one had it like, I don't know, like just straight down, but with like maybe like a weird braid on the side with like a bow in it. That, that'd be fuck. How imagine that? That fucking creepy shit. Be fucking awesome. So, all right, he he finds him in my version and he's like, and he fucking like just grabs his the rag and just rips it the fuck off, ripping off like his brother's lips, exposing just the fucking teeth, right? And the brother's like, and he's like, ah, ah, you know, making those like, old school, like 80s when they just like would just fucking emote at each other with noises when you were bad guys. Do, do that cool shit. Do that cool shit. And then like for the rest of the thing, he's like, ah, ah. and just imagine having a guy with like maybe a thing over his mouth or something where they, they, they and you maybe even do it off screen. And then like when you see him later, he's just got like a bandana over his mouth and he just doesn't talk anymore. And his brother will like look at him and then say stuff for him like she's downstairs. And he'll be like, <laughs> and you're like, we need to turn the lights back on. Some shit like that, you know? And then when like the final confrontation between him should obviously come down to between him and the girl because it's always great to have the girl exposed to somebody that like had some sort of horrific violence and she's like kicking on him. He's trying to grab her out of a vent later on. <laughs> and then she kicks the thing off his face and you can just see these fucking like these teeth and like maybe even insects getting into the, like the, the fucking gross part and like just like just fresh blood leaking over his exposed teeth. Oh, and she's, eh. wouldn't that be fucking great? And then I don't know. She kicks him into a fucking furnace. Go real old school eighties. Everybody gets kicked into furnaces at the end. I digress that the whole part in the house is the first like fucking seriously. I think it's the first 45 minutes of the movie and it is dull, man. There is literally two kills. The first one is like obviously coming and done kind of badly. It should have been more fun. Um, and it should have shown off more how dangerous he was. They killed the heavy first, which you don't do in my opinion. You know, every every bad guy group is made out of uh, a few distinct personalities. There's the boss, there's the right-hand man, there's the competent one slash nerd, there's the creepy one, there's the brother type, and there's the heavy. And then sometimes there's, like, the rat type. You know what I'm saying? I think if you're thinking about it, you can, like, kind of imagine these guys. It doesn't have to always be all of them, but there always has to be a boss, a heavy, a right-hand man, and a right-hand man and a creeper every time, just like every fucking time. And cuz like those are the most fun, and the heavy should always be like second from last to go, and he should always fuck somebody up real bad first and then get brought back. And and their heavy is like he's just so obviously the heavy dude, he's the tallest guy, he's gigantic fucking square-jawed white dude. He looks like uh John John Mahogany, Mahogany, I can't remember his name, but the guy that plays Alcide 
in uh, in, in True Blood, um, who is just like this big fucking dude, big square jaw, fucking square headed, yoked, picking up heavy things and throwing at him. Like the the fucking whole first part with the house should have served to underscore because the house is so similar in construction to the one from the first one. It should have served to underscore how. Uh, dangerous these people were by basically them beating the blind man at every turn in the old ways that he used to fuck with people. You know, like he really knows the house, but that doesn't matter that much because they can figure out, they can like really work on the fly and figure stuff out. Him fighting in the dark doesn't really matter because they came prepared. They bought, they bought flashlights and they're really good at fist fighting. Oh shit. And they're really good at fist fighting. Um, the, you know, just every like little tactical advantage he has gets beat. And then they are in and out 20 minutes tops, right? That should be him losing. There should be the end of act one and it should end quickly because that's the establishment. All right. Hey, here's our, 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 our hapless good guy. He's an anti-hero this time. Here's our little girl. Who's going to be the one he has to go rescue. And here's our crew of dudes. Here's our, you know, this guy's dangerous because of this. This guy's dangerous because of that. Also, they need different jobs, right? Um, That's how you differentiate the bad guys and, like, make sure that you can kind of establish what they do and what they don't do, especially in, like, really small, cozy environments like this. You know, if this is going to be a crew... The heavy should do heavy guy things. The creeper should be especially dangerous and sneaky and like a little perverted. The boss should have command of the situation and be charismatic, which he actually, he, he is. I can give him that. And there should be like a techie kind of dude or like a guy that shoots people. You know, that's how you build a rogues gallery. It's not science. And then beating each one of them either at their own game or by just outplaying them should be the rest of the movie in, in this action movie, you know? Um, it's Princess Bride. You got to outsmart, you got to fucking beat an ego Montoya in a fucking sword fight. You've got to um, outbrain the brawn of Andre the Giant in his thing and kind of just out-endure him. And then you've, you've got to prove that you're willing to, to walk into the fires of hell and just die to win um, to beat, what's his name? Inconceivable! Uh, I can't remember the last guy's name. And then, you know, that's like, you know, whatever it is, you're inciting and you, you keep going stuff like that. And you stretch that out over the second part, have him lose the house and then have to like really come to terms with like, what is he doing? Like, I can't lose another daughter. Um, I have this, like, mm, this was the reason that I'm doing stuff, which I mean, you know, it is what it is. There's also no real way for him to come to terms, which a major thing considering in the first movie, he is a sociopathic, military military trained uh murderer and rapist like he is a fucking unrepentant almost serial rapist not even for like the normal reasons like he doesn't get off on it but he is more than willing to literally rape a woman to impregnate her with gross semen so that he can have a kid and like he doesn't give a fuck about how those people feel when he's doing that to them absolute monster he's a fucking monster so if you're going to have a movie where he's the good guy all of a sudden you have to show him in a human light and like let him have some sort of redemption arc or if not a redemption arc a punishment arc that he dies at the end of something very similar you know 
And they really don't do anything like that. He has one moment where he talks towards the very fucking end of the entire thing and says like, I'm a bad man. I've killed. I've raped. <laughs> He's got a real Bane voice thing going on. What with the entire turkey baster full of cum that got shoved down his throat. But by the end of it, he's just like uh, kind of in the same spot he was at the beginning. He lets the little girl go live with the people. And I guess he just kind of goes off into the sunset. Maybe he gets arrested. I can't remember what happened. It was very, very boring. Um, But yeah, they go to part two and part two is in this old hotel, right? And it has the one good creepy. This is supposed to be a horror movie. I forgot about that, but it's not. Um, they go they have the one good creepy scene in the entire entire movie is actually stunning. The one good creepy scene in the entire movie is actually stunning for like the 10 seconds that it's on screen. And it's so fucking amazing that I was actually like brought back spiritually into the fucking movie. And it was this girl is in there, right? And she's like, my mom is dead. And they reintroduce her to her mom. And it's just this woman singing this snatch of a song. The girl was singing earlier, but like wasn't really well introduced. Like I said, there's tons of pacing problems and it's a really inefficient use of screen time throughout the entirety of this thing. I think somebody was just like, hey, you remember all those long silent pauses in the first one? What if we did more of those? Not realizing that like, those were specifically as long as they needed to be. <laughs> There's a lot of parts of this movie where that are just completely silent. Um, you know, kind of like to try to like highlight the fact that they're all kind of like being sneaky that don't need to be because it's not the sneaky part yet. You know, like the, the silence serves to build tension. If you can see someone on screen trying to be silent or dealing with silence other than that like you know everybody knows that it's quiet in the scene because there's no fucking sound there's no sfx being put up or the sfx are being put up that are kind of loud you can put music in it's perfectly fine a little bit of violin big big cello things and stuff but you know they just don't fucking do that and it's yeah anyway this bitch is in a fucking automatic wheelchair this chick's mom and you just hear and she gets closer and she's once upon a daisy do sing for me i sing for you brother bear is in the tree that I am, you feel the breeze. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. And a little bit that was a little bit of that was Rob Zombie, but you know, and she's a pro, and she's completely in silhouette with this this ruined, uh, this ruined lobby of this hotel behind her, and these like cage shapes of these elevators and stuff. And it really, I could draw this. The scene is so perfectly shot. I could redraw it from memory. I swear to God, and be pretty fucking close. And she's completely in dark and she's just approaching. And you know, if anything, the girl shows earlier that the girl escaped from a burning building. 
So, and they said her, your mom died in a fire. So what do you think you're going to see? Just this fucking mutant burn victim lady, just really just done up all bad. Nope. It's just some bitch in a fucking wheelchair. Just, just a lady. She's a little scruffy looking, kind of old, probably too old to have a kid that young. Although I guess they're supposed to look like drug addicts. So maybe the pre, maybe the aging is, is intended to be premature, but. Oh my God, dude, they show her and it's just such a letdown, you know, cause it's just like, Oh God, thank, all right. I guess it's just a normal woman. But if it would have just been like, she's like, imagine if she just gets closer, right. And out of the shadow before you see anything is when she passes into like the first bit of light. And all you can see is just the faintest traces of inhuman shapes on her. You know what the planes of human skin, where those shapes are supposed to be. Even if you don't, if you even couldn't draw them, you know where they're supposed to be. And if you saw extra bits, you know, wrinkles on a cheek where wrinkles should never be, even on like the oldest person and like a very low drooped pit of wet skin over an eye and everything's a little shiny. It's all a little bit reflective before you can even see it. You would be like, Hey, oh shit, here it comes, you know, and then maybe even don't like fully reveal her. Just have the girl step back. Uh-huh. And the lady's just like, you know, a little hand comes out and the hand, just let it be the hand is all you see. And the hand is fucking ruined, dude. Just like maybe even like just two missing fingers and like the front finger is just bandages and bone. Ugh, like just unhealed wet sores and you're like oh fuck no this is so bad and uh, the woman's just like hello Tara you know oh man wouldn't that be fucking dope wouldn't that be fucking cool as shit no it's just some chick fuck and then you know we get introduced to to to, to main plot point which is you're my daughter and I am the world's best meth cook. This bitch is Betty White. <laughs> Instead of Walter White, it's Betty White. How about that? She's the best meth cook in Detroit, I guess. I don't know. They sort of say that. That's why they have to try to save her life so much. And she breathed in so much meth gas when the place exploded. I don't know. She's really that good of a meth cook. Uh, Walter never blew up anything. But she um, she was the world's best meth cook in Detroit and cooked up that good, good shit. And they need to bring her back to life and make sure she lives. But she breathed in so much meth gas that her heart's going to fail soon and she's going to die. Oh, no, that's so sad. And uh, she needs, for reasons, reasons at all, she needs her daughter's heart. And they're going to cut the daughter's heart out which is horrifying. You know what I mean? That's, it's gross. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And they just drug the girl and she just falls asleep. But like, I wish if you would have had a long second act and introduced this bitch, like fucking 30 minutes in and maybe even just added the fact that like, I don't know, just don't even have it be meth. Have the woman is actually like, just make it, you know, Sam Burthington, Sam, Sam Worthington. Oh God. Come on, Tyler. Uh, Sam Scarlet, whatever fucking some name is the name or Alex Scarlet. Some androgynous name is the name of this, this organ harvester. Right. 
And then like, uh, it's actually her mom. Her mom is the organ harvester. Oh, shit. She runs it. She was a doctor, but she's also like, um, you know, she's a criminal, right? Hey, give her some fucking actual shit to be whatever. Let her lie about it. I was taking, I was, I was taking organs from the children of rich people and rich people themselves. And I was making sure that people could get their, their trans fixes. And, and we were operating out of a basement in this place. And uh, this fire spread through the neighborhood. You can even have it related directly to the end of don't breathe one and just have it like, Oh yeah, the old guy burned his house down and then it caught through the neighborhood and he felt bad. And when he went back to make sure like everything was okay, cause he was worried about whatever dogs in the neighborhood that house blew up because the house caught fire too quick and whatever, like the nitrous oxide tanks in the basement blew up. And then you can have an actual, you can have an actual fucking thing that happens to people in fires. The lady's lungs got scorched, right? So now she's consistently per, like have, she has consistent effluvia and she needs a fucking lung transplant from her daughter. Oh, maybe even she's, maybe she even says like, it's only one lung, just one. You'll have one still. And, you know, if we find, we can find someone that's a proper donor for you. You can always donate to me because you're my daughter. But, and, and a lot of people can donate to you, but I can't get donations from anyone because I have a rare blood type, blah, 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 blah. And have it be a lie. She just knows the daughter's lungs will work for her and wants both of them. Something like that. Maybe she's not even the daughter. And what happened was the guy just is a fucking, the boss is a freak and just dyed his hair to look like the girls because he's going to do weird shit to her body when she's dead. Fuck, go, go super hard. Like he's actually just a fucking necrophile and they're cool together and he fucks dead kids' bodies or some, some wild shit like that and likes to dye his hair to look like theirs because he's a fucking freak. And what he did the first time was he just pulled her hair out and it's like a fucking genetic match or something something gnarly like that why not dude do fucking do anything really ape it up you know and then like have the little girl be in a cell and she's like i'm gonna do it mom like i'll do it for you because the girl's just so desperate to have a mom but her maybe her mom's just really dead maybe they were just looking for this girl because she escaped and she can't fucking remember what exactly was going on but she had was abducted from a real house you could have her been god damn it i just realized that if you do it like this, you could have had her just abducted from a real home in a real neighborhood and the guy could have been lying to her about where she's from because she was on the news and they had tracked her down when she was too young to remember, four or five years old, and and stolen her so that they could steal, take whatever, right? Because she's got rare parts. And the woman's like, actually, you're a donor for anybody. And once we found you again, like I, you have that hair that's iconic, whatever, I knew that it was you or he knew it was you and that we could use you to fix me. And it's just like, we're going to go back to the same day as the day that you left and, you know, have the little girl figure it out while she's in a cell during this extremely long, well-paced second half. Right. She's just in there and she's like in the little kid's room waiting and stuff. And she's like, I, I want to do this. And she's just thinking about like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And like, even, even they give her some literature, you know, like we want you to make an informed decision. This is your decision to make. And it's like, yeah, you're going to have decreased lung capacity and you won't be able to play as much, but you know, you can live a whole healthy life after a lobectomy and all this blah, 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 blah. 
And then she's like, what is it? And she starts reading the book. She's like, well, this is only if your lung is removed for cancer. And they're like, it's basically the same procedure. We just attach the old part to the new parts and blah, 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 blah. And then she starts like finding stuff in the room that are like, you know, like I like me and mommy, me and me and mommy together again. Da, 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 da. And then like maybe she escapes and she she finds like 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 this is just, that's just like a drawing on the wall. She's like, that's weird. That's super weird. Like, I guess what maybe I, I drew that because this is our house in this burned out fucking hotel. And then she goes a little bit and like maybe gets out. And she's like, because ah, she knows how to pick locks because she lives a fucking old man, old man survivalist. And she gets out and then she finds all the other stuff, which is like these tests and shit. And it's like rejected, rejected, rejected. And it's like lung, what like rejected, whole lung. And it shows like a picture of the mother unconscious with just like fucking like seven or eight of these gigantic scars down her chest. And she's just been cutting her fucking body open and shut and just putting lungs after lungs after lungs in herself that she gets from these kids that she convinces are her kids. How fucking cool would that be? That's a fucking, how about that reveal? Oh shit, son. What the fuck? And then like, they, it's just like, they find, she's like, Oh, what the hell? And then she just finds a room of all these like hollowed out girls. Right. And all of their hair is like different and shit. And like, there's all these wigs or something. I don't know. And like, there's just a, and you know, here even better. It's a room full of mummified girls, all of her age with their eyes, like glass eyes. And they're all looking up at the ceiling and they all have like smiles stitched up. Like their, their faces are stitched up into smiles and then in the back she sees like our family in a big uh a big photo book right and they even showed it to her before They're like well when you get a second we're going to show you this our family book and these are all of our old pictures with uh with your sisters oh <laughs> even better and then and then she goes up to it and it's got like a little bit of light and it's like the nicest thing in this room of dolls and she flips it open and it's just the guy holding the dolls on his lap like he's like breastfeeding them and in each one his hair is dyed the same color as the dolls and he's just smiling at the camera each time like with a shirt off and this dead doll's mouth pressed to his nipple how about that how how about that as an iconic horror scene f- almost equivalent to having a fucking turkey baster full of cum shoved down somebody's throat i think it fucking slaps i'm coming up with them off the fucking top of my head and you know she closes it and she turns around and she just sees him standing there with like uh in in overalls with just one button unbuttoned and his nipples hanging out and it's just like got all kinds of scars and chew marks because he's clearly been jamming down these corpse dolls fucking teeth onto himself and making himself bleed and he's just looking at her and he's just picking at the scab and it just starts to like freely bleed down his chest and she's like and runs out there there and then the fucking blind guy arrives inside or even like that's like midway through how about how about that instead of what we get which is just her laying on the table and the, the lady's like don't worry any second now we're gonna be one together your heart will be in mine blah, 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 blah. and the fucking doctor is just some doctor he barely gets any fucking time and he's so briefly mentioned at the beginning i think they showed a picture of him that when they show him again like in the lobby downstairs, it's like, oh, hey, there's the, is that the guy? Is that guy? Oh, shit, he's gone. Fuck. And it is what it is. But, um, yeah, so th- then the blind guy goes there, and he kind of eliminates everybody in kind of a dumb way. He actually fights 
the creeper, our hammer guy, and uh, does like a ninjutsu fucking hammer throw at the guy's head and uh, knocks him out. Or, yeah, he knocks him down and then he beats the dude to death with the hammer, which is like, okay, yeah, it's cool. And then you get the weirdest scene ever where nothing has happened, right? These guys just walk into this hallway that's full of, or like this big empty hall that's full of water, like a, like a dance floor hall. You know what I'm saying? And it's like got like ankle deep water and they're looking at it and the old dude is laying in a pool of light in the middle of it, which would make more sense because this is like, I guess, after he fought the dude and they're like, all right, he's down there. And they're like going to assume he's dead or something, but I would have just shot him because I, I was in the military like these guys were. And it's like, hey, if you think a combatant's dead um, or, or might be fucking around, you know, yell at him and stay away. Don't like approach him randomly. Keep your gun trained on him. And if you know, if you're if you're in doubt that this dude's going to be playing dead, it's always better to just shoot him once and double check than like approach a guy who's an enemy potentially just laying on the ground. And <laughs> so they just approach this dude and the water laps up against his fingers and for some reason that alone is enough information for him to pop off. Literally he just spins, kneels and fires three successive shots and kills all three of these guys. Drops every one of them full dead, fully dead. What in the fuck? None of them get a shot off and hit him, even though they're all holding guns at the ready and he has to do like a Wolverine jump spin to fucking hit him. It's so dumb. It's not even executed in a cool way. You know, where there's a lot of tension. They kind of just walk in this room to die. But then there's a pretty good scene where there's this one uh, like Latino dude who's been a part of the crew the entire time and like a little confused. Earlier on, there's a scene with the dog where he's like, don't hurt the dog. And the guy's like, I don't give a fuck about that dog. The dog's dead. The main boss guy. And so the dude's just like, mm, meh. And then the old guy's pointing the gun at him. The dude's like, nah, man. He's like, they're upstairs. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to fuck with you. They, they're trying to kill a little girl. I ain't cool with that. And fucking, like, literally he says, like, I ain't cool with that. And they fucking, that's the end of the scene. He's like, he walks out, which everybody in the movie theater was pretty much like, what? <laughs> what? Awesome. Okay. Cool Latino guy. But really, he didn't give a fuck about the kid. In my heart, he's like, my man likes the dog. I respect that. I'm not even going to get into the dog. The dog's cute. I don't give a fuck. Dog sub subplots are always cool with me. And the dog doesn't get, as far as I know, the dog doesn't die. It does get thrown out a window and you don't see it again. But um, I'm just going to think that it lived and it hit the ground. And it was just like, yeah, fuck this. I'm done. I'm going to go find some some booty to smash on in, in Detroit and start up one of them feral pit bull colonies. <laughs> but um, that, uh, that, that scene ends and then it's like the final showdown. Um, the guy, the boss ends up killing his wife on accident because he's just randomly shooting a fucking desert eagle through a cloud of uh, insecticide smoke, which still I don't think is a good way to make a smoke screen. I mean, I guess it can fog shit up, but this shit, this shit hits like creates as much fog as like a professional grade fog machine. Uh, yeah. And, uh, in like two seconds and it's like three canisters of like, um, pest be gone stuff in literally a Olympic swimming pool, a, a room with an Olympic swimming pool. So it's got like a fucking 25 foot full dive 
depth swimming pool that's all the way that long and then you know enough room north to accommodate probably a 25 30 foot diving board it's fucking huge and it just fills this entire space almost and these guys are fighting in the fog and it's like oh a little knife fight run around oh i got hit in the leg oh no stabbed and then like uh, the lady gets shot and she's going to drive her fucking electric wheelchair into the pool with the little girl attached to her. And it's like a 20 foot fall, which is, you know, not great, but everybody ends up falling in the pool at some point, <laughs> except for, except for the blind guy. And, you know, uh, he blinds the other dude. You know, now you'll see what I see and stabs his fucking eyes out with his thumbs and then just leaves him. Like he killed him when in fact he being a person that was mechanically blinded should know that not only is he not dead, he, uh, according to the rules of this universe, probably now has uh, superpowers. So the guy like pops up off the ground, and, like stabs Stephen Lang's blind man character in the back. And then they're kind of all like uh, flopping around and dying. And the girl comes back and saves the dude at the last second. And he's like, don't stay away from me. I've killed. I've raped. And you know, that ends, I guess. I, I can't even remember the resolution. It was just dull. And then the girl goes to live in a foster home, which <laughs> she, I feel like she was unironically better off at his like weird farmstead. All in all, the movie's not great. It is. It's not worth going to see in theaters. Um, it's quiet as fuck the whole time. So like literally we were in a packed theater seeing it. Uh, the crowd added nothing but burps, farts, and coughs. So like every, you can hear everybody doing everything for most of the like suspenseful parts of the movie, because there's not even enough Foley to like fill it up. You know, like, um, there's not like, like there should be like running water or rushing air, little mechanical sounds, like small things to like fill up the void to kind of make you realize like, you know, the stuff that you only hear, like if you turned me off right now and just listened everything that would fill that space, you know, is what you should have on there. Like, that kind of stuff. Like what the fuck is going on? But no, it's just absolute full silence for long stretches of time. During which part we could hear people just like crinkling snack bags and like burping, farting, coughing, cursing, having cell phone conversations. It was, it was not great. I wouldn't go see it in the theater. Uh, the experience isn't really improved. Um, but you know, do what you want. But I think ultimately, yeah, that is, that is my, uh, that is my review. So to say of, of don't breathe too. I would say, see it if you want to, it's not an absolute avoid it. It's not so bad that you're going to be like, I'm pissed that I spent money on this. You might enjoy it. There's a few really good parts. Generally, it's boring. If you watch it at your house, uh, when you get too bored, you can at least pull your cell phone out and check your text messages, as many people in our movie theater were doing throughout the film. And uh, yeah, with that, I would say it is a uh, maybe a five in quality, well shot, okay acted. The child actress is bad pretty irrevocably she's kind of garbage the other children child actors and actresses are also bad that are in it for a brief bit the writing is atrocious the pacing is horrible 
Uh, editing and sound is A-OK. There's some pretty good shots, and uh, the effects are solid. The, I, can, I can say that the, uh, the blood and gore and uh, other body effects are, are, are pretty 100%. Guns look good. Guns go off good. All that's pretty nice. Pretty much a five. It's a movie. Um, for enjoyability, I would put it as a, at, a, at a two, maybe a four, three. We'll say it's a three. Uh, you might like it. You might not. I surely, I surely didn't. It gave me a lot to talk about as far as why it was bad. It could have been a much better movie, but I'm feeling like maybe even it was. And these multiple production companies got in the way of it. So ultimately, yeah, I would say, I would say avoid it, you know, rent it if you want to, if you're really curious, but otherwise not that great. So with that, uh, I'm going to end this episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. I hope you enjoyed your time with me today. I hope the mic is sounding a little bit better. I fixed some stuff. I'm, I'm using an arm again, and I, uh, I got a new bit of equipment that should have improved the sound quality as a whole. And um, I, guess, I guess we'll find out if that's the case or not. I, I don't know. So um, with all that said... Uh, if you, if you want to support us, please go ahead to the West Side Fairy Tales Patreon, patreon.com slash West Side Fairy Tales. Um, if you get on the Patreon, I'm going to start doing this, and you want me to talk about a movie specifically, if you're a patron um, and you're at least at the $5 level, um, send me a message. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. If you're a patron at all, just send me send me any request that you want, and I'll go watch, I'll go watch a movie or uh, potentially even read a book. I don't, I'm not going to say that I'm going to finish it. I will DNF books that I don't enjoy. So <laughs> unless you, unless you actively pay me to read them, like Jesus Christ, you know, one movie that, you know, what a book that you probably have to pay me to actually read all the way to the end. And I'm going to lose all of my horror cred for saying this Dracula. That book is fucking boring. <laughs> I had to stop reading it. And then when I did, I bought uh, blacktop wasteland and it was a fucking, it was a riot. So all that aside, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Search Westside Fairy Tales on Amazon.com and pre-order the Eyes Beneath My Father's House. Buy it on Amazon September 17th. It's not that expensive. It'll get sh- sent right to you within a matter of days. And uh, like I said, if you find me out there anywhere in the wild, anytime, with a few notable exceptions, if I'm taking a shit and you follow me into a public restroom, I'm going to tell you to wait. Um, all that aside, yeah, I will sign it. I will, I will sign it for you. So, you know, if I ever get big and you want to skip the line at a convention, literally, like, come up to the front of the line and wave your copy of uh, The Eyes Beneath My Father's House. And I'm like, hey, everybody, you got to wait. This, this motherfucker right here is an OG. OG motherfucker right here. Line skipper. Come on up. Come on up. And I'll know. I, I will post date them to make sure that people can't do that uh, way down the line. Or maybe I won't. And, and, and just having a copy of, of The Eyes Beneath My Father's House will always be enough for you to circumvent a line in a, in a, in a VIP manner, which would actually be pretty, pretty fucking hilarious. Maybe I'll just take it out of print after a certain while. But all that is said, yeah, go ahead, buy the book, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Westside Fairy Tales. just search us up. We're appearing in search engines everywhere. After half a decade on the internet, we're actually big enough to be noticed. <laughs> And uh, until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. 
Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com code SUPER24. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told and been telling doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.